Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Hey, this is Kion Wolf. I'm here with Betsy Kaplan in your podcast feed saying thanks for tuning in, first of all. And please keep this podcast going by calling 1-800-584-2788 or by going to wnpr.org slash donate. That's the place where you become a member or you renew your membership. And most importantly, you keep us going. And we can't do this without you. Kion and I, along with the, the rest of our team, put on the Colin McEnroe Show every day of the week for you because we love to do this for you and we love the show as well. So give us a call, 1-800-584-2788 or go online at wnpr.org. Enjoy the show. Darko Treznik is an unusual man. He has been the creative director, the artistic director of Hartford Stage for a number of years now. He's departing to do other things. This is a conversation which we had a few days ago. He talks a lot about what it means to run a theater company, also his own peculiar vision of theater, what theater means in society, and talks, I think, in a very unusually personal way about what moves him. I've known Darko a little bit in all the years that he's been working here in Hartford, and I'm comfortable saying that I've never heard him talk like this before. So I hope you do stay with us and meet maybe for the first time, maybe anew, Darko Treshnik. It seems kind of sad to call this an exit interview, and he's not exiting quite yet, and we don't know which side of the stage he's exiting on either. But Darko Treznik is here, the outgoing, in several different senses, artistic director of the Hartford Stage Company, and we are probably having our last conversation on the air, at least while he holds this title. I should say by way of context that just because of the way things worked, we, we needed to pre-record this interview. We're actually pre-recording it at the exact moment that President Trump is ending the shutdown of the government. And that'll be interesting because I think at some point in this conversation, we're going to talk about what it's been like to be an artistic director in 2016, 2017, 2018, and so forth. But first of all, welcome back to our studios. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, we are happy to have you here. So I guess maybe before we talk about the past, talk about the future. What's going to happen once you finally close the door at Hartford Stage? Well, for Hartford Stage... We just announced the wonderful new artistic director, Melia Bensusen, and I couldn't be happier. I think she's, it's a fantastic choice. I think she's going to be absolutely great. I truly, truly adore her, and I'm getting to know her right now in ensuring a smooth succession and ensuring that she's beautifully set up at the stage and in the community. So she's absolutely fantastic. And for me, you know, there, there are, um, artistic directors who direct and directors who are artistic directors. And I'm definitely um, 
you know, in my heart, I'm pretty much a director who artistic directed at two institutions. But ultimately, the artist lately is winning out. So, so I find that in the next phase of my life, all I want to do is really direct. And it's been a great, great time at Frederick Stage. It's been the best. I've had such a wonderful time with our staff, our board, the whole community. It has been such an honor, but I'm just a little bit, I can't keep up. I'm getting older. I can't keep up. <laughs> the, and, and, you know, Anastasia is playing in New York, national tour, Spain, Germany. It's opening up in Mexico City and um, in Holland at The Hague. So and, just to, yeah. just to <laughs> put that in, uh, in context yeah. for people, so Anastasia, yeah. which debuted here yeah. at, at Hartford Stage and then moved on to Broadway, you're responsible not only for the New York company, but for all these other well, world companies? Well, yeah, there's a wonderful team of assistants, you know, and I have a European assistant who's fantastic, but, but it is my production, and I do have to be involved. So just the schedule, you know, the schedule started to get kind of overwhelming, and, and I wanted to stay at Hartford Stage as long as I could do an absolutely great job and give it all my energy. And, and I think change is good for me as an artist, and it's really good for arts institutions. I think change is a good thing. So I can't wait to see what Melia brings. You know, I want to go back to something that you said, because I, I think I understand what you mean by it, but I'm not sure the average person or maybe even the average theater goer, goer fully understands. Or anybody who's not inside of my head. Or so, anybody yeah, who's not yeah. inside your head. Okay. So you said, you know, there are uh, that, that yeah. ultimately you've decided you're a director who has been an artistic director as yeah. opposed to an artistic director who also directs. So yeah. there's, I, I think we have a vague sense of what a director of a play does, but maybe we don't understand mm-hmm. what the artistic director does that is so different. Well, you know, with Mike Stotts, who's leaving for Paper Mill Playhouse, who has been our managing director and with a wonderful company, you know, you pick a season, six plays every season, in addition to the Christmas Carol, you have to make sure that the programming is, a, in, programming is exciting, eclectic, you know, you have to make sure that it also, um, that certain number of the shows bring in audiences, Mm -hmm. because that is just the financial reality in a country where we don't get a lot of government support for the arts. So it's a very, very complicated equation. And in addition to that, what I'm proudest of about Hartford Stage and Mike Stotts, it's very much due to his efforts, is that we have an education department that reaches 21,000 students across the state of Connecticut, which is the most extraordinary statistic about the Mm -hmm. company, you know. So it's a huge, huge job. And I'm also, you know, as I said, I wanted to give it my all. But a few years ago, my mom died, and I started thinking... You know, I didn't skip a beat. I was in tech the next day. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> and, a, that's the thing we're yeah, mentioning. You were yeah. in tech the next day in a yeah. different part of the country, right? Your yeah, mother I, died had to and- fly, I had to fly to California, you mm-hmm. know, because we were doing a co-production of Kiss Me Kate. And I was really close to my mom, and I wondered how I was going to deal with it. And I gave 67 notes that night. Mm-hmm. You know, I fired them off one after the other, and I was like, I'm where she wants me to be. But in the long run, you know, if you don't take time... It costs you as a human being. So I just need to a little bit. I just need to take it easy. Yeah. I, I could <laughs> yeah. have told you that. I kept working after the death of each of my parents, and, and I didn't take enough time, and I, I paid yeah. a price. Yeah, uh, one have, does. You have one to does. do that. And I'm just starting to realize that. So. Well, this this whole adventure started yeah. in t- 2011, but yeah. the first thing that happened was your dog died, right? Yeah. 
yeah, the first full day at Hartford Stage, you know, I didn't even make it to say goodbye. And two hours later, I had to give a speech. There were huge expectations about a new artistic director, mm-hmm. and I didn't skip a beat, and I felt like a monster. It's I was like, com- the, your heart can grieve. and right. the, Yeah. Compartmentalizing is yeah. the word for this, right? I find it really hard to say that word. It's one of the few <laughs> words my Yugoslav tongue just gets. <laughs> I have to think about it syllable by syllable. It's not a particularly <laughs> Thank you good, for saying it. It's not a good word anyway. No, I mean, it's, it's not, not a good word. It's yeah. not a nice sound. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we should be, it's yeah. about not being real, not being in the moment. Yeah. It's about doing something else. Yeah. And mm. it's probably not a healthy thing for us. Well, yeah. there's so many things I want to talk to you about artistically, but I think partly because you mm. came into the studio kind of mumbling a Cole Porter lyric to yourself that I want to talk, start with musicals. I mean, you won a, a Tony for A Gentleman's Guide. You did do a Kiss Me Kate, memorably a production of Kiss Me Kate here. Obviously, the musical means something to you. First of all, maybe just say a little bit about that. You and I talked about this, I think, at the time of Kiss Me Kate, but you grew up in a different country, kind of digging American musicals. I did. I did. Every once in a while on Yugoslav TV, they allowed an MGM musical to come on, mm-hmm. and it was heaven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I've directed so many operas, and by now so many musicals, about half of my life is working with musicians, mm-hmm. <laughs> either on revivals or new pieces. And right now, you know, for my last show this season, at the end of my eighth season, I'm doing the world premiere of The Flamingo Kid, Mm. which is an exquisite musical by Scott Frankel, who wrote Grey Gardens, and Robert Friedman, who wrote Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. And then after that, I'm developing three more musicals. And there's something about it these days, especially. There's something about musicals that unites people at a time when not much does, and that's a beautiful thing. I think also, first of all, I grew up yeah. around musicals. My father mm-hmm. wrote the book for a Broadway musical. I, I've always loved musicals. But, you know, you can talk, people say with no sense that they are being a Philistine or anything like that, they say, I don't like musicals. I don't mm-hmm. like musicals. Well, and, they are Philistines if they say it. <laughs> well, yeah. If you've heard a Cole Porter <laughs> lyric, or Lorenz Hart, right. you know, or Sondheim, you can't dismiss an art form. Then you are a Philistine. But I think there's, for a long time, there's been this idea, well, I don't yeah. like it because people break into song and there's something artificial about that. Mm-hmm. And and I, I wonder, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's hard to get through a conversation like this without saying the name Hamilton. But Hamilton, mm-hmm. partly because, of course, it is a sung through sure. musical, so don't you don't really go from speech to mm-hmm. song that much. But I wonder whether Hamilton is a little bit of a cure for that disease, too. There's a lot of people who say they don't want, they don't like musicals, but they'll do anything to get a ticket to Hamilton. Absolutely. I think it's been galvanizing, and I think it's uh, it's been just great for the field. Mm-hmm. In general, it's been absolutely great for the whole field. It's a burgeoning art form, and it creates stresses on other shows, you know. Mm-hmm. Hamilton is, among other things, incredibly, incredibly financially successful, mm-hmm. and it creates expectations maybe for other shows. And as you know, only 25% of the shows on Broadway ever recoup. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, it's it's actually very, very hard to do a successful piece of populist entertainment <laughs> like <laughs> Hamilton. It's one of the hardest and most, you know, it's very tricky. Chorus line, you know, rent. But I think if these you, watershed if you, if, musicals. Yeah, if you watch around the theater district right now, you've got the prom. You've got sure. you've got people waiting in line for a waitress. Yeah, it's doing well. Musicals. And dear Evan yeah. Hansen. Yeah. I, I think the one thing that happened was people sort of said, "Okay, I just saw Hamilton. What else is there? There's yeah. got to be something else, right? Mm-hmm. You know." And yeah. I think that part's been good anyway. Yeah. I was saying to you before we went on the air. I just went and saw 
Merrily We Roll Along, which is the, sure. this incredibly yeah. problem-plagued yeah. Sondheim musical that yeah. closed after 16 performances the first time mm-hmm. they did it. And yeah. the Fiasco Theater, who I think are unbelievably innovative and sure. interesting, have, I think, found a way to tell mm-hmm. this story. Are, are you, yeah. Have you done Sondheim before? Have you directed Sondheim? I've just done Little Night Music once. Yeah. Is that you know, somewhere like, in your bucket list now? or something? Uh, there's not so much. Yeah. Not so much. Well, there's also, I think, a sense of part of the American theater mm-hmm. narrative is... Let's put on a show. Sure. Let's put on a musical, right? And, and right now, what I'm most thrilled about, what I want to see is be more chill. Yeah. Because it's a musical. It's become a hit because of young people. Mm-hmm. They have turned it into a hit. The press didn't really understand it. That doesn't matter. It's this young fan base, and they have a way of communicating with each other. I saw a lot of this happen with Anastasia. They created a culture around our show they're definitely creating it around be more chill and it's fascinating you know mm-hmm. i can't wait to see it yeah. I, th- I think also for you as a director i would assume and i have a tiny mm-hmm. little <laughs> niggling experience with this uh, on my own there's something about standing at the back of the theater and mm-hmm. i'm sure it's great you know standing at the back of the theater on a night when the engagement party which is up mm-hmm. right now and is not a musical is really clicking but something mm-hmm. about a musical that's really clicking you know and the audience is just you know riding the rhythms and melodies mm-hmm. of the songs it's got to yeah. be a pretty ecstatic feeling when i mean when when mm-hmm. gentleman's guide was up and you could just tell people were going yeah. nuts for it i mean that must feel good there's nothing like it yeah. it's really great it's yeah. really uh, – and it, it could almost be dangerously addictive. <laughs> I, I don't want to you know, turn it into a drug, so I'm trying to be very selective about the projects I pursue. Let's talk a little bit about Shakespeare. I think that's yeah. you know, still maybe your biggest signature is your interpretation of Shakespeare. Maybe you don't feel that way. I, I, I do, yeah. and, and I feel like looking back on it, the most satisfying experience at Hartford Stage was Hamlet with ah. Zach Appleman. That was deeply satisfying in every way. And it's, you know, there are a number of Shakespeare plays I would like to do them again Mm -hmm. because I think I could do them better. And I think, you know, for that that play, I don't see the reason to do it again. I really said what I wanted to say with that production. And I had great partners, Kate Forbes and Zach and the whole company. It's funny because I'm not just saying this. If you had asked me what your best Shakespeare was, that was going to be my answer, too. And I think the reason for that is, I mean, Hamlet has done so much. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got some issue <laughs> with it or some new take on it. It seemed to me that your approach to Hamlet was this is a ripping good yarn. This is like a very, very good story. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just tell this story and th- let that be what the yeah. play is. And, and I'm more, and I'd seen a bunch of productions of Hamlet right mm-hmm. around the same time, and I didn't think well, anybody else did it the way you did. Well, for me also. He's a friend, James Shapiro, who yes. wrote 1599, A Year in the Life of Shakespeare. So through talking to him and reading that book, I was mm-hmm. able to look at it. What was this to Shakespeare in the mm-hmm. year that he wrote it? So that was the lens I looked at it mm-hmm. through. So yeah. you said there are some ones you want to try again. Are you willing to say what those are? Oh, God. You know, um, the one that I did twice and mm-hmm. for the chemistry ones, the ones with and in the title mm-hmm. are really hard. And... <laughs> My favorite poetry in all of Shakespeare, and I think I could do better for a variety of reasons. It didn't quite line up, but it's my favorite Shakespeare text, and my favorite poetry is all Antony and Cleopatra huh. in Act Five. What he writes for her, as far as poetic imagination is unparalleled, I think that is the most beautiful poetry in all of Shakespeare. Interesting. You know? 
So the ones with and in the title, I like Yeah, that it's idea. hard. The chemistry ones are yeah. really hard. <laughs> but not four in the title. Measure. I was, I was thinking about measure for measure. I haven't done well. it yet. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. Uh, I, I would think but, you would have an interesting approach on that. But I did think that I wanted to direct every single Shakespeare play, and I've done a number of them. I've done Wintersdale four times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now working with living authors, especially composers and lyricists, is deeply satisfying. So now actually that's my main interest. So as we're talking, the engagement party is up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you working with the Flamingo Kid people on an intimate basis at this point? Or is it yeah, still kinda... I just read the beautiful new draft. And uh, you were asking me about my life after Hartford Stage. You mm-hmm. know, I have a house in Manchester on a quiet street. Right. It's a haven for artists. So the two authors came in, mm. and it was a beautiful day in Connecticut. And we have three guest rooms, and it's great when people come over. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be around, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I like I like Max's downtown and V's, you know. And I mm-hmm. like Bin Two Two Eight. I like Hartford very, very much. So mm-hmm. I'm just not, you know. I plan to be a subscriber. I plan <laughs> to support the arts institutions. I'm just not going to. Is that going to be weird? I'm going to pass on the hardest parts yeah. to Amelia. <laughs> no, not at all. You don't not think that? I, I I'll find it weird if I'm sitting there some night and you're in the next row. I just well, you'll, like, so, I'm sure you'll get used to it. But, I, uh, I guess so. I mean, I, I think that's great, I, first I, of all. I, I grew up, we moved so much, mm. you know. This is the longest I've been anywhere is Hartford. It's, yeah. a, it's a tribute to the city, and I still want to be around. So, uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's time to look at a life in a slightly different way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just let, let me just go back. I, I don't mean to pry into yeah. what's going on in that Manchester crucible <laughs> of musicals, but I, I, I've been lately kind of interested in what kinds of conversations a director has mm. with the creative team and at what point. So here they are, they're, they probably haven't, they may not have written all the songs yet, or they mm-hmm. may wind up, you know, as you get into this process, need, needing to write another song or what, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. what's going on with you guys right now? I mean, is this a, a finished work that you're going to direct or is this a work that is being born with you as part of the delivery team? Well, for example, with the Flamingo Kid, yeah. it's in an exquisite shape. Mm-hmm. And everything can be, can be improved. So the day after we opened the engagement party, I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't rest. We had to work on the Flamingo Kid. And by the end of it, I was just falling asleep on the floor. I was rolling <laughs> around on the carpet. And then out of the stupor, I woke up and out of some dream state. I was like, here's what the ending needs. And I was like, and we talked about the last verse for the leading character and the lens through which we were looking at what was still missing. So wonderful things can also happen out of sheer exhaustion and delirium. <laughs> I, you know, often that's the best. Yeah, although we don't necessarily recommend that as yeah. a course of action yeah, yeah. in life. Okay, I'll tell you this. For legal reasons with Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, mm. we had to change one of the numbers. Mm. This is the best moment I've ever had mm. working with living composers, writers. But I love the tune, but we had to change the context of one of the murders. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to the tune, and it made me think of a skating waltz. And in rehearsal, I told Jefferson Mays, I was like, start skating, Torval and Dean. And we started to do this mad ice skating routine. And then at lunch, Robert and Stephen sat down, and they're passing a napkin across the table. And by the end of lunch, they came up with as I'm cutting, I'm contemplating, and the truth is it's a tad exhilarating. With the rhythm of a violinist, I'll be cutting where I think the ice is thinnest. That's brilliant. That's yeah. when you feel really good. If you get two verses that brilliant, that's a great day for a director. As a director in these situations, when you're birthing these musicals that haven't been performed yet, and you're, as you mm-hmm. say, going to be doing a lot of it, I don't know, there are all these legends 
of, well, I mean, just go back to Prince and Sondheim for a second of, you know, they're doing company and Mm -hmm. Sondheim has written this incredibly (laughs) dark song and Prince says, no, throw that one out. I think that was Happily Ever After. Mm -hmm. And then he writes Marry Me a Little, which is a little Mm -hmm. less dark for the last song. And Prince goes... Nah, I don't think so. And that's how we get to being alive. Is that something? I mean, it seems to me you have a lot of have to have a lot of confidence to say to Stephen Sondheim, "Nah, no, nah, we're not going to use that song." <laughs> Do you have that kind of confidence with the song? Well, right? I haven't worked with him, right, obviously, <laughs> the musical. Yes. But but you know, in Gentleman's Guide, hmm. there was a number that I think we went through a dozen numbers mm-hmm. and I had to say, oh my God, it's still not there. It's still not there. Mm. It's still not there. And then finally there was a number. And it's really hard. Mm. It's really, really hard. With Lynn Ahrens, who is, I think, Dorothy Fields of our time mm-hmm. and wildly underestimated, with her it was the opposite. We had to tell her. I was like, no, we're not cutting that song. It's beautiful. It's exquisite. The audience will love it. Because so, she always wants to cut even her best work. Yeah. So it's very flattering because we're like, no, we're keeping that. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, creative yeah. people are odd that way, I think. Yeah. And I've seen that more than once. I, I interviewed yeah. Kander and Ebb. They were working down at Goodspeed. And I asked them the same question, the same kind of question. And, you know, what happens when a director or somebody says, you need a new song and you think mm-hmm. you're all done? And they said, well, that we're incredibly happy, actually, when that happens. There's nothing we like better than yeah. going into a room and writing a song. So if you're telling us to mm-hmm. go do that, we don't regard it as extra that's, homework. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Somebody's asking you to write another song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one more yeah. question about all this. In what way are you musical? In other words, do you sing? Do you play an instrument? Like, how do you, what's, how, are you just a fan? How, how do yeah. you? do the musical part of music you would not want to hear me sing at all (laughs) but my timing is absolutely perfect so i eternalize every timing and i read music i rarely have to look at the score Mm -hmm. so that every rhythm is inside of me you know and i never forget it so it's great and even with operas you know like i have a i I know exactly the timings i'm always on top of it right uh, well the way you did the ice skating thing was pretty impressive yeah, Yeah. yeah but you know what's interesting is um it's rubbed off, actually, and mm. I don't talk about it much, but having worked on so many operas and musicals, I've started writing one of my own, and that's actually mostly what I'm focused on secretly. Yeah. <laughs> I've been working on something for two years, and mm. that's what's obsessing me 24-7. So that's what's keeping me up mm. at night. You so. realize you just became slightly less secret just now. I know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's the exit interview. What the heck? Right, yeah. And good so, for you, I say. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're writing the book? Writing the book and the lyrics. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I have had that experience. It's yeah. lots of fun. You know? But you, you know, it's something I can do on my own. Everything else from the moment I wake up, it's collaboration. It's working with many artists, huge staff. But sometimes I really love the lonely hours. I love working on something on my own. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's the amazing thing about theater, right? Um, yeah. You can do it alone for a little while. Yeah. But pretty soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and that can be quite yeah. thrilling, too, I think, when you yeah. think you've got something on a page and it's a certain way and then other people show and, up. And, you know, I don't know of a director who's been as blessed. I've directed 100 productions, classics, revivals, new works. Mm. It's great. Nevertheless, there are things inside of me that I want to say that I can't say through other people's work. Mm. So I think it's a natural outgrowth that I would want to do it on my own. We're going to take a quick break here. It's also exciting to me to talk to somebody I already know, but get him to show a whole different side of himself. And if this is the kind of conversation that you enjoy, when these people come on and ask you to support this show, do it right now because we'll get credit, which means we'll do more. 
Hey, it's Kyone Wolf here with Betsy Kaplan taking a second out of your podcast. I know you thought you were totally off the hook from listening to the live fundraising, but we just want to take a second to say thanks for tuning in. And also, please help us keep this coming into your podcast feed. The number to call to be a member or renew your membership is 1-800-584-2788 or wnpr.org slash donate. And you have lots of advantages listening to the show on podcast because we're only going to speak to you for about 20 <laughs> seconds, maybe 50 seconds mm-hmm. on like five minutes. So reward us with the fact that we're speaking to you less time. We're taking less time out of your enjoyment of this great show that you're listening to. Give us some support to keep these shows going, no matter how you listen to them. 1-800-584-2788 or go online at WNPR.org. We're back at, with Darko Treznik. He is finishing his run, his exalted run at the Harper Stage Company. It began in 2011. It's going to end at the end of the 2019 season. I think maybe it's, since I just said something about years, let's talk about, I mean, another thing that happened while you were artistic director and having to make a whole bunch of philosophical choices about what got on stage was America just took a very strange turn in 2015 and 2016. It tinctured, I think, Mm -hmm. your time and a lot of the choices you made. Just say a little bit about that. Well, honestly, I could survive so much personal grief Mm -hmm. and not skip a beat. The election happened, and for the first time, I was... I didn't know how to go on. I didn't know how to get back into rehearsal. I didn't know what to do. Mm. And that night, I stayed up all night. The next morning, I thought about it. And I actually extended my time at Hartford Stage by a year Mm. because I was only going to stay for seven years. But I realized there was a lot of trepidation. And Mm. I thought that it would be maybe good for the company and for me not to go through so many changes. So I gave it another year. And I'm really glad I did because we're doing some beautiful shows But at the end of the day, that has also influenced my decision because I find that in the long run, often I'm just really depressed Mm -hmm. and I'm demoralized and angry. These Mm -hmm. are not the best things for creativity. So whether people agree with my political views or not, if they've enjoyed my art, they might just want to think about the fact that I'm not the only one. There are artists, artistic directors across the country going through that. And I wonder and if they really, if those things are so bad for creativity. I, I don't know. I think good and bad might be the wrong terms. Different. I can find glory in rehearsals. I can yeah. find fantastic moments in rehearsal. That has always been the place where I'm happiest. I'm never happier than when I'm rehearsing. Mm. Even in front of the audience, it's a little bit different. But in rehearsal, I find that, like, you know, what has happened has not affected me. But the other aspects are much, just much harder. And I find that uh, right now there may be people who can willing to do it and who can do it better. But I still, um, it, you know, it was staggering and demoralizing. And the next show that I was doing was a farce, mm-hmm. <laughs> comedy of errors. And I just didn't want to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was really, really hard. That oh, was yeah. the hardest it's ever been. My staff will tell you, I got mm-hmm. physically sick in a way that I just don't, doesn't really happen to me. Yeah. And I, I couldn't, yeah. I mean, physically sick and I couldn't get better. Eventually I had to go and for the first time since my 20s, I went on antidepressants mm-hmm. and I was like, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know? I couldn't figure out a way how to, and, and you know, as I've said, I've never. I don't know what it is to take a sick day. I've never taken one mm-hmm. in my theater career. Yeah. You know, but this was 
at times I felt like a zombie. I was so upset. So the (laughs) production like the Bernard Shaw's Heartbreak House is, I mean, it got- That was a response. It was a response. So it got pretty explicit. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't have gotten much more visually explicit. There was a character who very strongly resembled Trump. But do you think it sort of seeps into just about everything? I mean, let's get specific about the engagement party. You know what? It doesn't. It doesn't. It can't. Yeah. It can't actually because it would be shoehorning art, and art deserves better. Right. <laughs> you know? No, I don't, I don't see. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't say shoehorn. Yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah. more osmosis. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah it does probably. So let's take the engagement party. This is a new play that you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's about a lot of the characters are one percenters. They might even be half of one percent percenters or something. They're extremely yeah. wealthy people. There is an ethical dilemma that pops up. It's an ethical and existential mm-hmm. dilemma that has to do with money and trust and suspicion mm-hmm. and doubt and resentment. And it is taking place in a very expensive mm-hmm. New York City locale. I don't know how you would keep the politics mm-hmm. of 2019 out of that play. They're just going to get in there even if you try to well, waterproof you, you it. know what was interesting? It didn't, for me, have as much to do with the man in the White House. In that instance, it actually, I remembered the play because of the Me Too movement. It has a connection to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I remember it, and it struck me that it might be very, very resonant right now for that reason. And I feel like, you know, the thing about the one and half percenters in the play you know, what's curious to me is part of my work as an artistic director, actors, you know, don't always like when I say this, I've gotten Mm. into big fights, but art in this country where we don't have government support, Mm -hmm. a lot of it, you know, it survives through the goodness, through the vision Mm -hmm. of people who are in the 1%. So I don't have any simplistic view of wealth, you know, (laughs) but in this particular play, I think, the compromises that the characters at the center of the play make and the damage that they do in order to belong to that half percent. It's a very specific story. Yeah, it is a very specific yeah. story. So yeah. one of the things that I was, I was, I saw it last night, so it's yeah. fresh in my mind. One of the things that I was wondering, I've never directed yeah. a play. This is a play, there's something a little claustrophobic about this. I mean, you're essentially, you know, in several <laughs> different rooms of one house while a party is taking yeah. place. And an awful lot of emotion and tension, some of mm-hmm. it repressed and finally being let out, some of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, does it become a problem in the cast at all? I mean, they're inhabiting these oh, characters and, and... No, this no. was so much fun. Really? Oh, my God, yeah. it was fun. And you know what? Like, no playwright that I've met is like Samuel Baum because what he does is he keeps cutting and paring things back Mm -hmm. and anything that an actor can suggest with one line, with a short line, he keeps cutting and cutting so that it's a wonderful challenge. It's like a crossword for actors because you have to nail an emotion, nail the meaning in half a beat Mm-hmm. You know, and then he moves on. And so he actually kept reducing it because he trusts the actors, you know, in their ability to suggest what's going on under the surface of the story. It was an extraordinary experience. And what was really fun about it is, you know, that like if a character is picking up a towel from the floor, it may look casual. It's a completely deliberate move. When dishes are being handed off, when drinks are passed, it's time to the syllables. Mm-hmm. So, because it's a play that, on, even when it's casual in the beginning, 
things are laid out that mm. are going to add up to something later. So it was an extraordinary technical exercise, and that's what attracted me to it in the first place. Well, so that's so, you, though. I mean, <laughs> not everybody would have done that, probably. There'll be somebody else yeah. who will do that play and not time yeah. the rhythms out that but, way. That's you, right? But fortunately, it's exactly as Sam sees it. Mm-hmm. You know, So it was a great collaboration. because, And with the actors, when they recognized what the challenge was, that the most casual moments are adding up to things that are going to bite the characters in the ass later. That was wonderful. It was uh, So it was sheer joy, actually, in the room. It didn't get too heavy-handed. So, yeah. you know, I've been going to theater all my life. I've been going to Hartford Theater all my life and New Haven Theater all my life. But no matter where you go to theater, I mean, people might know, probably do know the name of the artistic director if they're regular theater mm-hmm. go- goers at a regional theater or anything like that. They might know some other things. I think it's a little unusual for theater goers to know a set designer, quite the way Alexander Dodge has been here. So this, I mean, the engagement party last night. Um, Gentleman's Guide, Anastasia, yeah. many productions. Yeah. yeah Twelfth yeah. Night, that crazy maze for Twelfth Night. The Twelfth Night in the maze was <laughs> unbelievable. And and people almost gasp sometimes like, yeah. when they see what's, what's happening. <laughs> so first of all, maybe you can say a little bit about this. You're no stranger to set design yourself anyway. And part yeah. of your particular signature is a very mm-hmm. visual signature. From the moment you got here and did The mm-hmm. Tempest with all that hanging tapestry or mm-hmm. hanging, whatever you would call that, you had yeah. a very specific idea. Yeah, that was Alexander's design. Yeah. The Tempest, yeah. But yeah. you you also, I think there's a reason that you and he are working together. So maybe you can say a little bit about what set and artistic design mean to you. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, mm-hmm. speaking through the lens of you know the engagement party, for example, yeah. I find it so curious and I'm so proud of it mm-hmm. that you know the press, like in the Hartford Current, they talk about the luxurious set. Mm-hmm. There's an implication that we spend a ton of money. Yeah. We don't. Everything costs $20,000. It's the ingenuity <laughs> and the illusion. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Alexander's imagination. It's her shops. It's everybody who staffs Hartford Stage. It's the extraordinary invention. You know, mm. we, we create this illusion of Park Avenue penthouse apartment. <laughs> we really can't afford it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so, and with Alexander, he has a gift of outrage. It's a gift. He's not afraid to be bold. And the thing, you know, he's a very, he is the nicest man, and he's one of the most modest people I know, so he will probably kill me for saying this. But I think, you know, he was born with fine design (laughs) in his genes. He's a member of the Dodge family. Mm. His father worked with Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm. He grew up in Italian, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So I think in addition to his extraordinary sensibility and training, you know, it's a part of him and it's something to celebrate and be proud of. I adore what he does. You know, I feel like we've gotten a little spoiled here in Hartford. I was also recently, I saw The Ferryman uh, on Mm -hmm. Broadway and it's obviously the, you know, sweetheart play of Broadway at the moment. It's, you know, it's kind of the it play and it has a terrific set, but they have to, it's a three hour play, which they have to break at the first hour Mm-hmm. And one hour into it, they have to do their big break, their 15-minute mm-hmm. intermission, because they have to reset. Not dramatically, yeah. but they have to reset. And then they have like another f- two or three-minute break t- closer to the end, which is a crazy way to divide up a show. And I was sitting there going, oh, Alexander Dodge would have figured out how to do this. <laughs> I mean, the whole reset would have happened, you know, just with one, I don't know. With well, I think some, it's somewhere. both of us working yeah. together. Yeah. You know what? I've never, out of the hundred shows that I've done, mm-hmm. I've never had a blackout. For some reason, it scares me. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a defeat. I'm yeah. terrified of an empty stage, yeah. <laughs> and I'm terrified of blackouts. So transitions, and, and you know, if we don't do those, we kind of 
it's almost like saying that theater is inferior to television and film, which it shouldn't be. So mm-hmm. the magic of theatrical transformation is something that I try and practice religiously with my designers. That's yeah. a great place for us to break, although I want to hold that thought. Uh, yeah. Let's take a break. We're talking to Darko Trezhnik. We'll do that. We'll come back and we'll finish our conversation. Darko Trezhnik. He is living out his last few months as artistic director of Hartford Stage. So something you said right before the break made me think. You know, you said you, you don't like blackouts and you don't like the idea. Anybody thinking that theater is, you know, any less vivid or able to do what it needs to do than television or film. And I, w- I was watching the play last night, the engagement party. I knew I was going to be talking to you. And I was trying to think a little bit about that question, too. It's like, why do we go to theater? You know, yeah. why are we going to theater? We obviously mm-hmm. can stay home and watch Netflix and there'll be something pretty cool on. You know, yeah. so why are we? And I think part of it is, well, why do you think that? Well, who cares what I think? What do you, why do you think that? Because every once in a while, there are those moments where there's a galvanizing performance on stage. Mm -hmm. There are moments that are unforgettable. And the fact that we're there together with each other is what matters. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's what really matters. And there are people we get to celebrate. They become our heroes, Mm -hmm. you know. Sorry to talk about it again, but Mm -hmm. um, the best way I can put it is I'm not a parent, but I feel like a dad when I watch Christy Altomar, you know, sing Anastasia. And I didn't, I was like, I wasn't sure that the role quite made sense because between the emotional fragility of the text mm-hmm. <laughs> and the power that's required in the vocals that anybody, I was just hoping that somebody would come through the door. And she did, Christy. And I felt everybody behind the table leaning in <laughs> and celebrating. And then she creates that sensation on Broadway every night. And and so, you know, Jefferson Mays in Gentleman's Guide, a number of the people, sometimes it is conceptual. I know that people talk about the last moment in Hamlet with the horse rising through the trap and the father picking up the son in his arms. And so there are moments, you know, that I try and create, you know, what you hope is that you'll give somebody a memory that they'll think about till their dying day. Yeah, I mean... That doesn't happen all the time, (laughs) needless to say. That would be a lot to ask. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways also, I mean, Mm -hmm. the obvious things are also the true things, that ultimately if you're sitting there watching the engagement party, you're as close to being there, Mm -hmm. you're only a few feet away from what's happening, which can never happen in television Mm -hmm. or movie. You have the exact same existential status, you have Mm -hmm. the same organs you yeah. know, and yeah. skin as the people on mm-hmm. stage. So yeah. that, it could only happen there. And I think the other thing is, one of the things that I've thought about for, I don't know, 20 years, since my son was little, mm-hmm. was the importance of seeing something where not everything can happen exactly the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, and in other words, every, everything that isn't live Sure. Can be fixed in post, as they mm-hmm. say. Yep. Theater can't be fixed in post. And I, I don't know if you wanted to say uh, something about that, but to me, well, that's I, important. I certainly hope that in post you'll fix my interview. I'm hoping that no. you're going to make me sound much more articulate than I am right now. No, I'm not. Because some of these sentences are coming out very badly. No, so I, I'm hoping actually, in post you're going to fix me. I, 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 would, I would tell you if you sucked. <laughs> oh, and, thanks. And, and, thanks. And you're not thank sucking. You. So. Thank you. 
Yeah, yeah. No, there it it is, and you know the. Sometimes people glorify the accident. I'm not particularly fond of them. But with something like the engagement party, mm-hmm. it's a high wire act. What's happening backstage and on stage, yeah. you know, even the things that are mental or casual, you know, I, ha- I have to hold Josh or whoever is next to me when certain <laughs> moments are approaching. Yes. You know what I mean? Because it's yes. so nerve wracking. Maybe that's why I can't be an artistic director much, much longer. It's stressful. But then, you know, like with this particular play, what's amazing is that the audiences are talking back. Mm-hmm. A few nights ago, there was somebody at the moment of the big reveal, somebody was like, oh, that's so nasty, you know, and, the, and you know, people are actually talking back to mm-hmm. this play, and it's wonderful to f- when, when it feels that alive. Right. Well, yeah. also, I mean, yeah. f- and I know, I know what you're talking about yeah. from your point of view about worrying, Yeah. but on the other hand, for us in the audience, the yes. fact that there, I mean, for example, a, a few nights ago, I am told, mm-hmm. the house lights came on during... Yeah, that was not fun. I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> you weren't there. But, yeah. you know, the, then, yeah. I mean, the people who were there told me about how the actors worked with that. I was at yeah. Kiss Me Kate when some kind of fire alarm went off and we all went sure. out on the street and had yeah. to wait out on Church Street and then walk, walk back in. Say, you know, every, every every time something like that happens, it cuts a week off my life. <laughs> so it, it just stresses me out. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Uh, That's just me. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, yeah. in fact, when we got back in, and mm-hmm. I can't remember what the line is, but there was a line that picked yeah. up perfectly yeah. from, from the fact that we had just been interrupted and sent out into the street. And mm-hmm. for the audience... Like, that's not going to happen watching Netflix. You're no, not going to have true. that kind of experience, no, that true. kind of memory. I used to take yeah. my kid to watch stuff like the Flying Karamazov Brothers because they might drop their mm-hmm. juggling clubs sometimes. Absolutely, which yeah. won't happen on the edited TV yeah. thing. And to me, yeah. that's super yeah. important. It is, you know. And I, I have to say, I prefer it when it goes into the other direction. Of course, you, know, you have those nights in <laughs> opera, you know, right. and you have those nights when you go like, I keep saying, you know, that stage acting that the bottom. Mm-hmm. has to be really high eight yeah. times a week. Yeah. That eight times a week, the quality has to be very, very high. But then when you get those exceptional nights on top of it, mm-hmm. well, that's that's extraordinary. Yeah. You know what I mean? When 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 things really, really ignite and soar, yeah. that's – and you live for that. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, I think if we had our friend Carolyn Kwan here mm-hmm. in the room, she would say the same thing. That yeah. You can get the orchestra to play some Bernstein piece really well yeah. for two or three nights and then – have them play it in this other mm-hmm. way, yeah. right? Yeah, that is just you know that you couldn't you wouldn't mm-hmm. even know how to ask them to play it that way, but they just yeah. did. For those of us who work in this country, I keep repeating this, but mm-hmm. I'm proud of what we achieve with limited amount of time because we don't have the luxury of European mm-hmm. state-funded budgets, you know. And so this American way of creating art, you know, I learned my craft at the Williamstown Theater Festival, 18 days of rehearsal three days of tech mm-hmm. and two previews and you're on. Boom. Right. And so I'm proud of that, you know, and as I'm getting older, I don't want to do that anymore. I need another <laughs> week. I need a week of tech. I need a week of previews. I just can't sustain it. I'm not mm. that young anymore. But uh, but I think well, it, maybe this people don't to, realize yeah. that, that American way of doing art that we're asked to do a lot well, less may, time. Maybe that needs to be yeah. the last thing that we talk <laughs> about. I mean, you, you've alluded yeah. to it three times in the conversation. Yeah. I, I sense some real frustration with the American way of doing this. Yes. Well, sometimes, you know, all that I would say as I'm leaving Hartford Stage as an artistic director, I'm so grateful to our staff, board, artists who have graced our stage, most of all our audiences. Mm -hmm. I meet extraordinary, generous people every day in the state of Connecticut. It has really been deeply, deeply satisfying, and I just want to say a big thank you. And beyond that, what I will say is don't assume that the museum 
that Athenaeum, that Hartford stage, that the symphony, that we are all so secure. Mm-hmm. I've looked at some of the the funding, you know, some of the changes, even from the local arts council. Mm-hmm. We get a fraction of what we used to. It's um, it makes me upset, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And as somebody who has worked very hard for this theater and this community, I just feel like also with corporate support, don't take us for granted because mm-hmm. we contribute a lot. It's not just you know whether people come to the theater, but to the local economy, it means a lot, you know. And uh, you know the stage company and that beautiful museum—it's a national treasure, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. That's where I go for my breaks and everything. So the the leading institutions don't take us for granted. <laughs> All right, that's uh, I think a good place to end. But Darko Dresnik, you will be missed, but apparently not that much. You will mm-hmm. keep Manchester thriving as the Montmartre of Central Connecticut. And yeah, you uh, know, I like you know my favorite places are V's, and I love uh, Max's yeah. on the bar side. It's great, great liquor. <laughs> so. Uh, so you'll find me there. We'll, we'll see you around, and <laughs> uh, you. I guess we'll see you probably in uh, Section C, Row 3 on some nights, too. Perfect. All right, thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. All right, that's the end of our show. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. To me, it was an eye-opener. I thought I knew Darko. He told me many new things about himself. Special thanks on this show to Jonathan McPants. He's the guy who produced the show and ran the board. The part of Bill Curry was played by Alfred Drake. We'll be back, but first, these nice people will ask you to support exactly this kind of endeavor. Now's a good time to do it because we'll get credit. 